sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Hi, I'm Dr. Lolly, and you're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You. I'm an entrepreneur and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy, and I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity. And I believe that entrepreneurs are both born and made. In this series, we won't be talking to the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons of this world. We'll be talking to people just like you. Hi, welcome to the February edition of An Entrepreneur Like You. Today I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Today I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Loretta Dignam into the studio. Hi Loretta. Hi. How are you? Listen, I'm thank you so much good. for having me in your studio. My absolute pleasure. Listen, I think we might start with just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, your personal journey to this point because I know what you do professionally and you're kind of the menopause person. <laughs> I'm not sure whether you like that title and what that we might discuss later what that feels to carry that, but um tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. So good afternoon, everybody. Um, My name is Loretta Dignam. I'm the CEO and founder of the Menopause Hub, which I set up in 2019, so just three years old. And it was Ireland's first and only dedicated menopause clinic. And now we have multidisciplinary clinic and we're the only multidisciplinary clinic in Ireland. So that's a bit of a mouthful. So (laughs) um, how did I get here? Well, I'm not a medic. Yeah. I have um, a business degree. I worked in the corporate sector for over about 30 years and I worked in sort of marketing, communications, branding, strategic marketing and all that sort of thing. Great. Um, so, you know, how come I ended up in menopause? Well, at my 49th birthday, I experienced um, my first of my hot flushes mm. and my periods had stopped, but I didn't know they stopped forever. But it was um, the hot flushes that really kind of signaled there's something happening here. Right. And to be honest with you, I was completely blindsided because A, I knew nothing about menopause. B, as a 49-year-old woman hanging on to her 40s, I thought I'm way too young for this. And surely this is something that affects women in their late 50s, maybe 60s. So, um, so I was blindsided. And also we know nothing, well, we knew nothing about this going into it. There's certainly no one in my family or SPHE or school or anyone had ever discussed it with me. No, I mean, um, let's face it, menopause is a taboo topic. Mind you, it's changing by the day. Thank goodness. Um, But three years ago, setting up the clinic, um, you know, nobody really talked that much about menopause. And um, if we had um, children going through puberty yeah. um, and all the um, the bodily, psychological, physiological changes happening to them, particularly right. girls. Which we're well aware of. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We would be, you know, preparing ourselves, we'd be preparing children. Right. But because this hasn't been spoken about, um, as, as women, we don't prepare ourselves. And it's often the busiest part of our lives when, you know, we're maybe juggling career, right. families, yeah. The sandwich moment parents. between parents, exactly, and children. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about it. And when the hot flushes started, they were the only two things I thought, no periods, hot flushes, menopause. Right. Um, and of course, I was terrified of HRT and I wanted to do everything naturally and I didn't want to put anything unnatural in my body. Right. So I put up with symptoms and I tried all ridiculous things. I tried... Um, magnets that you put in your underwear that cost 35 euros in boots which did not work. The only thing that happened is the supermarket basket you know the wire basket 
I don't need, I, oh, Jim, my mind is boggled now. Like kind of what are the magnets meant to magnetize? I, I just, I, okay, do we know anything more about the magnets? The magnets are supposed to help with your hot flushes. And I was having 20 to 30 hot How? flushes a day and at night. Oh, look, my, my doctors <laughs> asked me, where's the science? Where's the evidence? And I said, look, I read reviews online. Okay, yeah. It seemed to yeah. work. Women raved, supposedly. Okay, yeah. um, anyway, the lengths <laughs> I went to to try different things. Yeah. Um, and to be honest with you, it was, I felt like a slow puncture. I felt like the oh, air was just seeping out of me. Yeah. yeah. And I, after three years of all of this, you know, at night, duvet on, off, hot flushes, yeah. sweats, etc. Yeah. I decided in my own head that I give in. And I saw going to the doctor as giving in. Okay. Um, although when I had my children and I went to the um, the maternity unit, the first thing I said was, when do I ask for the epidural? <laughs> so I had no intentions of powering through birth, but yet I wanted to power through menopause. Yeah, that's, that's a new, okay, yes, we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, to cut a long story short, I eventually went to my GP. It wasn't that successful. She did her best. But I went to somebody who understood menopause and, and hormones and they pointed out, they gave me a whole education about right. it. And I left with hormones, um, separate hormones. And after three months, I was put on testosterone, which I didn't even think women could take. Um, and it sort of changed my life. Right. I got my mojo back. I got, you know, all my symptoms went. I felt amazing. And I thought, oh my God, not that every woman should be on HRT, but every woman needs to know about this stuff. Yeah. They need to know what the menopause is. They need to know about the symptoms because there are over 40 symptoms. Well, not just every woman. I mean, right. everybody. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. because I think there's an awful lot of people that are going through either perimenopause or menopause that aren't, aren't necessarily aware of it because of the large number of symptoms. I mean, 36 plus symptoms. Um, everything from sort of aching joints to dry mouth to anxiety to brain fog to forgetfulness. To You know, it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. But all of a sudden, sometimes when you can read that list, you go, oh, I have most of those, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or why does it hurt my feet when I step out of bed in the morning? Like kind of what's going on with my joints? You exactly. Know? And, and so, you know, it could be misconstrued as depression and not very often is by GPs, but at the same time also, um, no one had ever, same exactly like you, no one had ever sat down and had a conversation and I'm older than a lot of my friends, um, so I keep I run with a young group. Um, and as a consequence, I had no idea. And now I look back and I say, oh, I actually was in perimenopause for quite a long time, I think, Me before too. I realised how I could make some changes. Me too. And okay. in fact, I'd never heard the word perimenopause. Imagine. Yeah. A woman who was, you know, 50. I actually heard a drag queen called perimenopause the other day, <laughs> which I thought was rather glorious. Let's reclaim it. <laughs> so uh, I'd never heard the word. So I missed all those symptoms that happened yeah. to me in my 40s. Yeah. So anyway, once I got sorted out. you just out, knew something wasn't right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I knew something was right, but I didn't. I went for a brain scan um, for yeah. my brain because I had headaches. Yeah. But that came back, thankfully, as all clear. I went um, to the eye and ear three times with dry eye to the eye to the A&E department. Wow. I had pains in my ankles. I had dizziness. I had UTIs throughout my own, my yeah. whole 40s. If you're a person who suffers with UTIs, you know what they are. If you don't, urinary tract infections. Yeah. I was on antibiotics permanently. I had dizziness, fatigue. And I was able to put that down to stress, tiredness, 
right. um, you know, or run down, you know, all the usual right. excuses. Right, you, like you've got, you must, you know, if you've got kids, if you've got, you know, parents that are getting elderly, you're at your, you know, and you're working, you're also possibly at the, you know, the, the peak potentially of yes. your career. And, you know, if you've gone that way, like kind of, you have an awful lot of things you're juggling, an awful lot of plates, yes. as well as relationships and everything else exactly. potentially. Exactly. So it's very hard to actually turn around and say, I've got this list of symptoms and one of them is fatigue and the other one is forgetfulness. When you can, you can discount them naturally by going, I have a lot on. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I did. Yeah, so me. I then went about setting up a clinic to help women uh, because I wanted to um, wave a magic wand and shortcut the journey for women in terms of understanding, awareness, education about menopause, about seeking help, about okay. treatment, etc. And so hence I set up the clinic. And um, to be honest, moving from the business world into the medical world was really quite a transition that had I known then what I know now, who knows whether I <laughs> would have done it. <laughs> but innocence is, is, you know, blissful innocence is well, great. The clarity of hindsight. Let's talk about that and unpack that a bit more. So I'm, I'm fascinated. So you've got a long long, long history in corporate, like kind of, and you, you know, you've got a, career, a great career yeah. there with probably all the benefits that that brings you of yeah. being in it for a long time. What was the thought process to becoming an entrepreneur or exploring your entrepreneurial sort of mindset a bit more and deciding to go alone? Was it sort of a, did you write a list of pros and cons of each os aspect or did you just feel that this is a, mar a gap in the market and I need this and other people need this? Or what was your thought process? It was a combination of things. And um, the first thing was that I was actually kind of getting a little bit bored <clears throat> excuse me, bored in the um, area and I was working, I, you know, I, I felt I needed to progress. I felt I needed a different mm. challenge. I felt I needed to learn more, that kind of thing. And um, I'd kind of come to the end of the road of where I was. I then started looking at new types of jobs, maybe CEO jobs or things like that in charities and different sectors. Mm. And I also had this sense of probably wanting to give back. So I guess, you know, coming to the end of the road and what I felt was, you know, um, challenge, learning, job satisfaction. That was mm. one piece. The second bit was that sort of, you know, when as you age, maybe um, you want to give back a bit to society. Yeah, 100%. And I guess the third thing was, and then I saw the gap in the market and it was sort of right. like a perfect storm. Now, I was always in, interested in entrepreneurial um studies when I was in university. I studied that. I I set up a beauty salon when I was in my huh. um, late 20s while Great. I was working full time. And I had vision of setting up maybe a chain of those yeah. well before um, kind of beauty salons even became a thing. And um, I suppose I always was interested in it. But I guess, you know, I had great jobs in the corporate sector. I worked for major multinationals, Mars, Diageo, Kerry Group, Jacob Fufiller won Marketer of the Year. Um, I always had great projects on. I was always interested in new product development and that kind of thing. So, mm. you know, I suppose I got a lot of job satisfaction, but eventually that kind of runs out, I think. Yeah, and I think I, th I see this over and over again with my students in UCD that they would come to us, you know, as sort of probably, you know, middle to senior management level. They may have had a break because they return us to work. They may have, they may want to pivot from their career. They may want to do something more meaningful. They certainly want to try on the entrepreneurial hat and see what that feels like without having to make a leap into it. Um, and that's what we help them with. But I think a lot of it is, is this idea of sort of... Uh, forging a new identity for yourself when you're when you when you're in a corporate job and you you either lose that role or you decide to move from that role 
because we start every conversation with you're in hi, what's your name and what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of our identity is wrapped up in that persona. This is what I do, but mm. of course it's not who I am. You know, it doesn't really tell you that much. It just tells you what you do, you know, potentially for, for your wage or your salary. And I think a lot of people would like to redefine that. And I wonder if I'm seeing a lot of women at the same age group as sort of 50, 45 to 55 coming, coming through our springboard courses. Um, and I wonder if it goes hand in hand potentially with the menopause, that this idea of sort of making that change, your body is changing, your mind is changing. We did used to think that the brain was finite. Now we know through neuroplasticity, it renews itself, you know. So again, it's, you know, perhaps it's perhaps it's all tied up, that it's an opportunity to, if you can get to grips with the physiological symptoms, I do feel that I'm probably at the most emancipated period of my life for a number of different reasons. But I wonder if there's something in that. It's interesting you say that because when I was in the throes of all the symptoms and everything, I probably wouldn't have had the energy. Mm. Um, So a couple of other things happened. One is my children were past the sort of 16-year-old age group and then coming into sort of independence and needing me less. And I'm a single parent. I'm divorced. I've heard my kids really on my own for the last, whatever, you know, 16 years or whatever. So once they became past that sort of age, that gave me a sense of freedom. Mm. And I no longer carry guilt the way I did. (laughs) I was a guilty mother working outside the home every day of my career. (laughs) Yeah, This is true. So if I put that with, then I got sorted out physiologically, psychologically and everything with the hormones. Yeah, And I guess... I could see um, a different future for me. And I wanted I wanted a different energy. I wanted mm. something to stimulate me. And I often say to friends that it reminds me of when I first got my job after university. I have that same kind of appetite um, for the work, the interest, the passion. Now, the fact that I'm doing something to help women, primarily women, mm. but also men and families or whatever, makes me think that having this new purpose Mm. gives me a new sense of energy as well. So I'm combining personal circumstances with um, maybe the change, as they call it, um, <laughs> in my, in my um, as a woman, yeah. with, um, uh, with a purpose. And then that is another perfect storm. I have a lot of perfect storms in my life. <laughs> well, I mean, they, you know, these, these perfect storms, these sort of, as my, as my granny used to say, life turns on a sixpence, you know, and you can, you can pretty much, you can look back with the clarity of hindsight and you can see those moments. And sometimes in class, we would do the river of life. And yeah. the reason that we map that out in a visual way is, you know, you don't need to start with birth. You could start with, sort of, you know, leaving school or wherever you would like to go, your beginning of your career. But it, what it really shows you is that for every trough, there's a peak, you know, there's undulations in that river. Nobody's river runs smoothly. So as a consequence, perhaps, you know, I wonder if those sort of, those troughs are the catalysts or the sort of the portal opening to make change if you would like to make change and you can see them where you can go. You can see quite clearly when you start mapping out sort of 30, 40, 50 years that like after every negative, there comes a positive, you know. And so it's, it goes it back to that, you know, the, the change is really interesting that it's called that, isn't it? Really? It's fascinating. Mm, mm. And, and here's another thing. Why is it menopause and not menostop? <laughs> because meno, of course, is your menses, your period, and it's they stop. They don't pause. They're not coming back. But it comes from, I think, isn't it, Latin or whatever, and yeah. therefore it is pause means to stop, actually. Okay. So it okay. does come from meno stop. But you know, it's interesting, um, a uh, a woman I know is writing a book and she asked me 
um, would I write a chapter mm. for her book and about my experience and she thinks it's inspirational and so on. And I started writing the chapter sort of from kind of when I was leaving school to now yeah. and to the, the kind of challenges and whatever I'm going through at the moment as an entrepreneur. And the interesting thing about it is I described what you just described slightly differently, which is funny because you talked about the peaks and troughs. Mm. I t- talked about rerouting. So I took, nice. you know, um, if you take, um, you know, Google Maps or whatever maps or whatever, and then, you know, you take the wrong way yeah. or you go down, you know, you you pass the, the turn off or whatever it is and it goes rerouting. I had lots of what I would call disappointments in my life, you know, yeah. so I wanted to do law when I left school. I didn't get, I missed it by a point in the old system. So I said, oh, I'll do the BCom <laughs> next. And at the end of year one, I'll change over. The, right. You know, it was much easier than those days to do things like that. I didn't get law and I cried my eyes out. And um, so I went in and did business, BCom. And then at the end of first year, I thought, I really like this. I think I'll stay. Mm. So I kind of rerouted so it's like turning those positives. When into you said negative. rerouting, I got a sort of a, a nature analogy there, as in rerouting the plant in the oh, earth. Oh, that's another good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's really nice. That's interesting. So that was my uh, sort of a theme that I kind of observed in my book was, oh, I'm or in the chapter of that book was, oh, I'm rerouting. But it's be, it's a bit like what you're talking about the people. Well, it is process. the it is the analogy of driving, and you do the same. <laughs> If you look at your Google map history of it, but I'm horrified sometimes when it pops up because I do the same route over and over again. I very rarely venture out of this sort of same sort of direction, you know. But occasionally, um, and I, I moved to Meath about four years ago, and I didn't know what was at the end of every road. It's a little bit like when you go on a holiday and yeah. you don't know what's around the corner, and that gives you a sort of a fresh perspective. And when I moved, I realised that there's no there's no wrong turns. There's, there's, such a, there's no wrong turns. There's just perhaps, you know, uh, a, a new direction. I'll always discover something by exactly. doing that. You know, we get so stuck in our rut, don't we, of doing the same thing. We yeah. sometimes have to... I can't help but wonder if the universe has given me a few sort of slaps along the way. It feels like it. It's sort of a few backhanders to say, wake up, it's time to make a change. <laughs> that's that's what they feel like. <laughs> Some they of them bigger than do. others. <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> Tell us more then about what you're going to put into this chapter. Where are you going with it? So basically it's about, um, you know, having, you know, how I got to where I am now. And it's about sort of reinventing myself and it's about Mm. sort of the challenges. And I have to say, I mean, I love what I'm doing every day. It's incredibly busy and the business is in growth. So that's fantastic. We've added not only to the clinic, but we've also added to um, what we're doing in the workplace. So we're doing menopause in the workplace training, um, awareness, education, um, menopause champions training um, and uh, menopause policy. What's a menopause champion? So basically, um, I have been quoted in the Irish Times as saying menopause is like mental health was maybe Mm. 10 years ago. And what I mean by that is that um, mental health was also very taboo. Right. And people didn't talk about it and people didn't know how to handle it and it was embarrassing and it was shameful nearly. Whereas now organisations have opened up, people have opened up, society has opened up and our perspective on mental health has changed. Yeah. So, a similar thing is happening 
um, about yes. menopause at the yeah, moment. It's having a moment. It's having a moment. It's, yeah. ha- it, it's a hot topic. <laughs> Let's get all the puns out there <laughs> and the alliterations. So, um, yeah, so I think menopause like mental health was. Yeah. So therefore, within the organisation, there are many things that organisations already have done in terms of mental health mm. so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel and they just right. need to look at it through the perspective of menopause. So a menopause champion could be somebody like a mental health first aider, but it's somebody in the organisation who's going to draw drive the um, the cause, if you like, somebody who's going to be a go-to for people maybe going through menopause or who have menopausal staff and want to maybe have a chat and a conversation about that or that they can broker conversations between um, staff and and management or staff and HR. Because the, the statistics are quite horrifying oh. about how many women, what percentage of, would you, do you know the stats, what percentage of women leave work due to the menopause? Yeah, we did um, our own research in Ireland because the Menopause Hub did because um, most of the data is UK data right. and no data really exists here. So we did a study, um, a survey in um, 2021 in October for World Menopause Day because mm. it's such a thing. Yeah. And um, among 1,150 women. And um, I've done a lot of research um, in my career in the past. So doing this was was fairly simple and straightforward. But the results were revealing 12% of women, all menopausal women in this 1150 survey, said they gave up work because of their menopausal symptoms. That's and 40, 43% um, considered giving up work wow. because of menopause. And in terms of performance, 30 over 30% said that their uh, performance was impacted a lot by menopause. Um, 60% said a little. So that's people's uh, performance affected. And then um, 39% of women said that they took um, time off work because of their symptoms. So whether that's sick leave, medical leave, whatever. Um, And uh, 22% said they took three or more days off work. So wow. that's a huge economic loss it's, to it's the organisation. It's a huge loss. And fair play because you're reeling off those stats from your brain <laughs> without any cue cards. So you must have a great a great mind for numbers. Um, I mean, it's, it's absolutely horrifying because, I mean, if, if we... Perhaps we could sort of, there's a piece in the in on RTE today called Why is the Menopause So Low on Society's List of Priorities? And they're talking about long COVID as an analogy and saying if this number of people were off work because of long COVID, we would pour everything that we have into the research on long COVID and how to solve it. 100%. What is the issue? Is it that, I mean, I, as far as I know that the doctors get very, very little training, I think it's up anything up to 30 minutes on the menopause during that, you know, is it? It's usually one, one, you know, lecture yeah. in a module on abs and gynae or something. Right. So, so, so what do we need to change right from the ground up? If I give you a magic wand. So if I had a magic wand, I would say, first of all, I think we need a public awareness campaign yeah. so that women understand what's actually happening to them. Um, I think, um, and that's for the women who are going through this kind of now or women in their 40s and so on. I do think we need um, to increase the education in the medical sector about this. Um, I think we need to create a specialism for menopause because it sort of falls between GP and and gynaecologist sometimes. Mm. So I think GPs need to be um, upskilled in this. I think some gynaecologists may need to as well. Um, but you need to develop a specialism or a, almost nearly like a, a consultancy or something. Yeah. So we have um, specialists, uh, menopause specialists in our clinic. Um, so that's that's one thing, um, the awareness campaign for women. Then you need to um, educate uh, the workplace about this so that they know how to cope with this. And um, I think, you know, obviously then at some point it starts to go down the age profile and it becomes very much part of the, say, the school curriculum. Right. Um, but, you know, I would be starting with 
where the biggest issue is and where the biggest need is first and then kind of working back. Um, and that to me is the biggest issue because women don't know what's happening to them. They are then going to see maybe, I'm not saying all doctors because they're obviously brilliant doctors out there yeah. and brilliant GPs, but they're going to a GP who may not know a lot about it. So it's the blind talking to the blind technically. Right. And therefore, if you have at least women, that's why the Joe Duffy show was so fantastic last year for those of you um, who may not have heard, but um, uh, it's a, a radio program in Ireland and um, it um, ran a, a daily one hour or a couple of hours, um, eight days in a row talking only about menopause and it lifted the lid on menopause and it was a catalyst for change, um, which is fantastic. It is. Um, but the number of women who then went, oh my goodness, so that's what's wrong with me. Right. And the level almost of relief because some women think they're going mad because of anxiety, depression, yeah. mood, anger, that kind of thing. Some women think they're getting um, early Alzheimer's because yes, of the brain yes. fog and memory loss. Some women think they're getting early rheumatoid arthritis yes. because of the aches and pains. Some women think they're dying because they feel so awful. Yeah. So this was a relief for some women. But I think what that has done now is that that, that sort of outpouring of demand has placed and the emphasis on or the onus back on government and the Department of Health and on um, the medical community to deal with this. Right. So I think that is going in the right direction. So I think there are two great starts, but it needs to really be accelerated because there's 570,000 women in the menopausal age group in Ireland, of which 350,000 are in paid employment. So yeah. it's a big number of women. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many questions that are popping into my mind. We're going to take a break. And after the break, I'm going to start asking you some of the hard questions. Your community radio for South Dublin. Dublin South FM. Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Welcome back to An Entrepreneur Like You with me, Dr. Lolly, and my guest today, Loretta Dignam. Loretta, just before the break, I said that we were going to dig into some of the, uh, I suppose, the hotter topics. I just can't help myself, sorry. But I just wanted to talk a little bit before we before we get into that as a sort of, as a, as a foundational aspect. Because I'm an anthropologist, uh, I look at sort of how people experience things around the world in different ways. And what's really interesting is whilst there are all these biological symptoms, actually culturally people deal with the menopause in, you know, in, in, in complete sort of diversity. So what's really interesting here for me is that in the 1970s, there was an anthropologist, Marcia Flint, and she started to look at um, women in non-Western cultures. So she would have been the first one, really. She studied 483 women in India and found that um, some of them had no symptoms during menopause apart from their menstrual changes. So this was kind of built upon to sort of say, you know, is it is it to do with us? Is it to do with our physiology? Is it a, is a common denominator that all women across the world have this? Or is it actually something more to do with our lifestyle? Um, and so I think we, um, from what I can understand as an anthropologist and some work that was done with Japanese women, they were saying that they have shoulder stiffness, um, but they didn't have hot flushes. Now, I know that soy has been linked to that, the diet high in soy. Um, but what could be the reason for these different sort of experiences of menopause as far as you know? Well, actually, uh, there's been this long held belief that um, like there is no word for hot flush in the um, Japanese language right. and that therefore their diet and lifestyle meant that they had no menopause. But I've actually been reading a lot of studies of late. And they're talking about women in the, um, what we call it, Eastern or the non-Western world. Mm. And to be honest, they actually do have symptoms, but some of their symptoms are uh, they they have um 
some t- symptoms that uh, manifest themselves more in one particular area than they do in another. Um, there's also um, an ethnic element to it. Right. So women of colour experience a different type of menopause, slightly different type of menopause than women who are um, not of colour. Um, and so I actually think the reality is, is that women around the world experience mm. menopause um, differently. Um, but within a narrow frame, it's right. still menopause. Yeah. It's still menopause. So they may have a different emphasis and different symptoms. Um, I also think that in the Western world, and I think the Eastern world, if you like, is becoming more Western. Yes. Is that um, youth is so much valued. Yeah. And therefore, um, once a woman who um, is in menopause is, you know, they're past their fertility, um, yeah. the fertile stage. Right. And, you know, youth is a currency. And so all our emphasis is on that. And I don't know if deep down psychologically, I, as a mother of two children who are now, as I call them, kiddles, um, I was lucky enough to have children and I wanted children. But if you haven't been lucky enough to have children or whatever, then it's a closing of a door. Right. Um, if you, uh, so I didn't feel, exper- I didn't experience any grief or anything that was the end of my fertility or anything like that. But deep down in my psyche, I mm. did feel there was an association of ageing. Right. An association right. of being sort of over the hill, of being yeah. past it and so on. So that to me, I mean, if we see a woman who has, a man who has grey hair, we say, oh, there's a wise man, you know. <laughs> if we see a the woman with grey hair, <laughs> yeah, we see the silver. And if we see a woman with grey hair, we go, oh, there's no woman. Right. Well, this has to go back then to the sort of the old sort of categories of sort of uh, maiden mother crone, right? I mean, crone being and also spinster being related to crone of some, you know, that sort of the idea of sort of uh, um, uh, women as sort of, you know, these grey haired witches, you know, shriveled and sort of, you know, barren and all of these awful words words that are associated when we didn't live as long as we're living before. So we may have lived up sort of 50s or 60s, you know, and then now we're living to 80s and 90s. Yeah. outliving men. So I think a whole sort of, we don't have a, we we, we certainly, I mean, I, 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 I follow people like Cindy Gallup, who, who is a, a, an absolute um, ma- maverick. And one of the things she'll talk about as a woman in her 50s is that, you know, this anti-aging thing has got to go. It's got to be pro-aging and the beauty industry has got to catch on yes. to this because you can't anti-age. We're, we're aging, we're dying every day from the day we're born. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. You know, we're, we're all, you know, we're, it's all atrophy, like one way or the other. But uh, there's, there, there is a kickback and I see it, you know, I see it on Instagram. Instagram, I see it in sort of, you know, other versions of, of, of social media where sort of there's a sort of, um, a, I think, a reclaiming of sort of this this section of life. And I don't want to call it second section or the second spring or the, you know, or the sort of third act or oh, whatever, you know, whatever yeah. any of those things. I don't know how many acts we have and multiple acts, like kind of multiple chapters in our, in our stories. But there is a sort of a reclaiming of that. And part of that you could see during lockdown, which was really interesting because women were saying, do you know what? I can't dye my hair. And actually now we've coming out of it. I'm not going to dye my hair anymore. So I'm going to reclaim who I naturally am. Um, and so this this uh, this constant sort of desire for youth and fertility um, comes, you know, and is of course is is you know is, is supported by the beauty industry, by the fashion industry. Yes. But actually, there's a whole section now of people looking at the other industries, people that were ignored, which is actually women in their fifties plus who have more disposable income than any other group. Their children are leaving, and a lot of you know smart business women like yourself and myself, I put myself in the category. Most of my celebrants would be in that catchment area, 80% female and sort of 50 plus, you know, they're finding there's a time when they want to give back and they want to do 
something more meaningful in their life. So I, th I think the, the, not only is the market rife, but the culture and the time is rife now for a complete redefinition of what this is what 50 looks like, this is what 60 looks like, but without the pressure. And, and we, can, we can move into areas of body positivity as well to sort of say, you know, we, 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 we can choose how we, exactly. the narrative that we give ourselves on a daily basis. I look at my uh, daughter, she was 13 going through puberty when I was going through my menopause and she had a period tracker app on her phone. She was happy to go into her school where there's boys and girls um, and if, you know, a girl went home sick with period cramps or whatever, they all said she's gone home, she has her period, she's mm. not feeling well. And that was kind of openly spoken about. Um, and I look at her, she never wears high heels. Yeah. Uh, I look at the kind of the clothes she wears. I look at the, you know, so there's so much to learn, I think. Um, and I think we're the last generation um, that is going to put up with some yeah. of these things. Uh, definitely menopause. And she was one of the reasons that I, I pursued this as well, because I just thought, wow, the next generations just cannot experience this right. like we have, right. you know. And you look at our mothers and they, you know. They, they never talked about it or they rarely talked about it. Well, I still to this day don't know that my mother even went through it. <laughs> exactly. And if they did, they said, oh, I was too busy. I just toughed it out or I battled it out or others right. say, oh, I flew through it, you know, but but they didn't. Or they have osteoporosis. People say the same thing about childbirth. They do. It's a survival <laughs> mechanism. Yeah. Um, but they, they a lot of them have osteoporosis now yeah. because they've lived without estrogen for so long. They have heart conditions, heart right. disease. Because right. they've lived without estrogen so long. They have Alzheimer's. Women are three times more likely to have right. Alzheimer's than men. And that's linked also to estrogen and ovary production and so on. So, you know, there's a lot more to it than the hot flush, I can I can guarantee. Well, let's get into that topic then. This, you know, the, the, the difficult topic of HRT. You know, um, why is it that HRT um, has had such a bad rap? Brilliant question. Um Wow, you know, as a marketing person in my in my DNA, you know, there needs to be a whole like relaunch, revamp of menopause and HRT. So in 2002, there was a study conducted called the Women's Health Initiative yeah. and um, it was done in the States and the results were published um, by another division before they were peer reviewed. And the results were published um, and um, they hit the headlines um, globally. And overnight, women stopped asking for HRT and doctors stopped prescribing. And they linked it to um, uh, breast cancer, to heart disease, right. to stroke and so on. However, the purpose of the research actually was to test HRT's usage in prevention of heart disease, of stroke and so on. And what the average age of women in that research was, was 63. Right. So they were postmenopausal. Right. Um, they were smokers, they had heart conditions, they were overweight and so on. The um, the uh, people who did the research have come out and apologised to women that this research was taken out of context, was not peer reviewed. But the damage was done because, right. you know, the headlines um, were global news. So what's been slowly happening since 2015 is that that research has been debunked and it was taking a long time. Mm. And now women have to be re-educated about it. And I myself was terrified of HRT. Right. Um, it's dangerous, was that was in my head, based on no information, I might add. But, um, and a lot of women who come to our clinic would say exactly the same. Right, yeah. And their friends, if they decide to go on HRT, their friends are saying, should you be on that? You know, that's very dangerous. You know, that can give you breast cancer. Whereas once you read the facts, it's actually you are a greater risk of breast cancer by being overweight or obese with a right. BMI of over 30. So ladies, if you have a weight issue at the moment, you really need to get that yeah. under control. 
The second thing is if you drink alcohol. So consumption of alcohol can also cause breast cancer yeah. and in- increases your risk. So those two alone actually have a greater risk of breast cancer than HRT. Well, let's let's talk about the weight gain for a minute because be, that's a really important point because this whole idea of middle-aged spread being inevitable, oh, yes. right? So that is about the drop in estrogen, right? Is linked to that? Yes. Right. So okay. basically what happens is once your estrogen starts to decline, your body starts to set down fat differently than yes. it did when you were... Um, Even though you're eating the same calories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's two things happening in tandem. One is that your um, metabolic rate is decreasing as right. you age um, and that's a natural phenomenon. But secondly the um, fat that's been set down in the body because of the lack of estrogen is now visceral fat right. or brown fat. Which and is that's around the, the unhealthy, yeah, yeah, the unhealthy yeah. fat that sets around, around the organs. Whereas prior to that, it's what's called subcutaneous, meaning it sits under the skin. Right. So it's a different form of fat formation. And this is why women often say to me, you know, is there, especially when we're doing talks about menopause in the workplace, is there anything I can do in my 40s to prepare my body for becoming menopausal. Can I take some vitamins and minerals? And people are absolutely obsessed by that. And what we always say is the best thing you can do is to be at your right weight for your body going into menopause. So, you know, in terms of how to handle it, we have a dietitian and nutritionist in our clinic and Mm -hmm. the advice he gives to women um, is that you need to cut down your calorie content by 500 calories a day and stay at that forever. This is a lifestyle change. You need to increase your energy out. So 10,000 steps a day, yeah. every day. Yeah. And if you're already at 8,000, you probably need to go up to 15,000. And then the third thing is to do, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes every day of um, weight-bearing exercise. So yeah. squats, planks, push-ups and that kind of thing to actually help tone um, the muscle and to protect the bones. So plus take your vitamin D, plus ensure your calcium intake is good. Magnesium is pretty good. Um, and, you know, cut down the alcohol, the coffee. It doesn't nice sound like things. much fun. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Like, <laughs> it can be. I'm happy as Larry. <laughs> so, so I started HRT at, at 48 and, um, and, and that was kind of because I was getting brain fog and I couldn't do my job properly, yeah. which is, you know, academic. Very so, common. Uh, and then the joints started hurting. So I went and saw the Well Woman Clinic. And then at the same time also, about six months ago, I was saying, okay, this doesn't feel like enough. Uh, it's, it's good, but it's not enough. What else can I do? So I, I came to that point of, okay, I'm, it's like an overhaul. I'm going to need a full overhaul, <laughs> like an NCT, you know. What do I need to do? At, you know, I'm 52 now, what do I need to do to get, you know, to be active for the next 20, 30 years? Like that, you know, 30 preferably, um, or even 40, let's let's put a number on it. So, you know, what do I need to do right now? Um, and what did I do in my 40s? In my 40s, I was busy getting my PhD, raising my daughter, running three businesses. I didn't have, I didn't make time for exercise. I did have it, I didn't make it. I didn't prioritize it. So I've enlisted the help of a personal trainer, an amazing guy called Sam Shortle, um, who is an online accountability coach and an another guy who is um, called Kaylin Cole in Kells and we, I would do three weight-bearing sessions with him a week and I'm like a, I'm like a strong woman. I just all I don't know where it's come from. <laughs> just all of a sudden, in six months of of regular, consistent work with him, and, and he's an incredible coach. I'm lifting like a hundred kg, which is the size of a small person, and I don't even know, you know, I didn't know that that was possible. That's helping with the bone density. It's also really helping with the with the you know the endorphins, the sort of the mental of health. 
Um, and I've I've switched. I haven't cut out drink altogether, but I've switched from wine, which I, unfortunately wine I have had a sad goodbye. We've had a breakup, <laughs> and I was grieving it for a little while, but the sugar content in it was not doing me any favors. And I think it's quite common for women in their fifties. Mm-hmm. And and so I've moved on to vodka, which is a clear spirit, and that occasionally. <laughs> so so that that whole combination of things. So yes, being active, moving away from my desk, making sure I get the steps in, and all the rest of it. It has to be a mindset change, a lifestyle change, in order to offset it. So yes. It's it does seem unfair that just as we get on top of things in terms of our children leaving and everything else, that literally the universe is saying, okay, there's two paths. There's this path, which is going to take work. <laughs> and uh, as Brittany says, you better work. <laughs> <laughs> no pain, no gain. But, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, or it's, it's the other way, which is I'm going to have to put up with this. Like kind yeah. of like, so why, what, what kind of women are you seeing coming in through your clinics and what sort of transformations, you know, have you experienced with so all varieties yeah. of women come into the clinic um, and um, so I guess the key to me, the fundamental is the diet and lifestyle. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it's really the diet and lifestyle at any age. However, when you're younger, you can, you know, your body, right. you can abuse your body more in that department. So I would say to everybody, that's a bedrock is the diet and lifestyle. Yeah. And yes, it's hard and so on, but it's like any habit. And once you get to it, um, you know, it's you, you start to build it into your normal routine. But I think the alternative isn't that good either. Right. Because if you're overweight or obese, you're going to have an impact on your cholesterol. Right. You're going to have an impact on your on diabetes. You're going to have in, impact on your bones. Um, your risk of heart disease, risk of breast cancer. So, you know, the long-term health risks are actually high. It gets that. serious in yeah. your 50s onwards. Yeah, yeah I, I really yeah. do think so. And I think that therefore, and um, we owe it to ourselves actually to do that. Now, it's not easy and I'm sitting here as if I'm Miss Perfect. I'm not. Um, I, you know, my own exercise has suffered no, a little bit since I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not easy, but but it's 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 a decision. Yeah, it's a choice, and yeah. and in some ways, I've I've in, in all actual actuality, I've never felt better, and I've never been in better shape, which is which is a bit of. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a wake up call to me, really, that I could have done this ten years ago, and it would have been a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, it is, you know, it's not only about the looks you see and about looking course, good. No, it's the endorphins. It's actually, how you feel. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's about protecting, you know, your longer term um, health for, for against disease and so on. Well, you mentioned what it's like to be an entrepreneur, so we're going to have a quick break, and after the break, we're going to dig in deep to that question. Broadcasting to South Dublin on ninety three point nine. This is Dublin South FM. Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Welcome back to An Entrepreneur Like You with me, Dr. Lolly, and my guest today, Loretta Dignam. So, Loretta, an entrepreneur at what age? I became an entrepreneur at... 54, I think. I'm all about saying your age. And do you know why? When I'm in class sometimes and I say to my students, we do this little game saying, uh, give your age as a chapter. So mine would be chapter 52 and give the first line of your next book. So chapter 52, it was all ahead of her, for example. And I sometimes I get kickback from the ladies who say, I don't want to say how old I am. And I'm like, well, I think now is the time to embrace it. Absolutely. <laughs> there did used to be this thing where we got stuck at 49 for a long time. <laughs> I never wanted to admit that I was going through menopause because then I knew people would know my age. And the ridiculousness of that was that they probably knew my age, give or take five years anyway. But there you go. There's the vanity. Well, we're still here and we both look amazing. So (laughs) inside and out. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Tell me about becoming an entrepreneur. So, so give me, describe an average day for you. Oh my goodness. An average day is very busy. Can I tell you this, that I feel like the jack of all trades. Yeah. Or the Jill indeed. Or the Jill, yes. Gosh, silly me. The Jack, the Jill of all trades. And to be honest with you, um, I would never have said I was that good at IT. I've upskilled there. The challenges I have most days are people. Mm. So HR challenges and IT challenges. They're the two biggest, actually. HR challenges in finding the right people? Finding the right people, retaining the right people, training people, COVID, COVID contacts, all that kind of thing. Then people deciding to move on and then replacing them. So yes, I would have to say that um, in uh, they're the big, that's a huge challenge. And just as soon as you find somebody you think is brilliant, something happens, whatever. It could be their partner has to move somewhere for a job and they're moving with them. It could be, you know, they've got aging parents, they've Mm. decided they're taking a different move or it could be any, they've, you know, young children and they find it hard to, you know, work full time outside the home. It could be anything, could be anything. But um, that's a big challenge. How big is your team at the moment? Uh, we have seven doctors, some four other different kind of specialists, and we have one, two, three, four, four about seven other staff that nice. are, some are full-time, some are part-time. And everybody looks to me for the solutions for everything. Yeah, <laughs> which that feels. is a bit of a shock. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's that. Um, the IT challenges are, you know, because of COVID, we moved as they say, we pivoted online to telehealth medicine, which has been fantastic because it gives women access to treatment all around the country. We had women coming down to us from Donegal who maybe had to, you know, didn't really want to travel, drive. And so they got a train, plane, automobile to get to Dublin a whole day and so on. Now they can do it from the comfort of their own home. But that brings with the challenges. Is their, you know, broadband good enough? Is their system good enough? Is their camera working? You know, all that sort of thing. So there are lots of IT challenges. We also moved our business online to booking online, um, but that doesn't talk to our internal system because it's a closed medical system. And, you know, so there's a lot of duplication in work and so on. So there's a whole load of IT challenges, which I'm I'm looking at. Then there's a challenge of growth, of trying to keep pace with demand. And I'm really pleased that that's a challenge. How many hubs do you have now? We have one. I'm opening one in... um, in, on the north side of Dublin um, and I'm going through the planning permission process because I have to get medical planning permission for the building. Then I have to go through and that takes about eight weeks and very long, boring. The legals have to be signed. The um, work has to start to fit it out and so on. So something that I thought would be open in just a few months is taking about six months. So yeah. that can be quite frustrating, to be honest. Um, everything seems to take longer. Um, and then um, I'm, I've identified a place in Cork and similar things around planning and so on because medical have different planning requirements than an office or whatever. So are you going to have three times the problems? <laughs> Hopefully I can <laughs> recruit someone to mind those problems. But the other thing I'm doing is I'm also trying to um, expand the business and grow the business yeah. in the area of menopause in the workplace yes. and e-learning and so on and so on. So it's trying to manage all of those. Um, How many hours a day time. are you working? Uh, yesterday, I worked 13 hours solid, Yeah, um, probably. Um, today, it might only be, you know, 11 or 12. Um, I will probably be working on the weekend or whatever. I'm working a lot. I'm working a lot. Yeah. Um, and, um, but... Six days a week? Yeah. 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 I'm working a lot. Sometimes seven? Sometimes. Yeah. Not the full day of the seventh. I do try to take some So time. you say everyone looks to you and of course that is the the, the way with founders um, and it's very hard to delegate that responsibility. Yeah. The buck does stop with you. How do you prevent burnout yourself when you're working that le- that, at that level? 
thank God for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter got COVID, so I had to work from home. So it was easy. Um, I guess I just need to plan some breaks. I need yeah. to um, plan. And it was difficult in COVID, you know. Uh, so A, plan breaks, physical breaks to other locations, other countries, whatever, if I can. But that was difficult during COVID. Um, I, I'm an extrovert, so I do enjoy going out, meeting friends. So I always make time for that. Yeah. Make, make a bit of time for family. Um, and then, um, you know, it, it's difficult and I should be doing my exercise. and I'm not really. So it's a juggling. And the other thing is that, you know, not only am I juggling, say, HR, IT, um, business development, um, uh, demand generation. Mm. I'm also looking at the finances and right. whatever. So luckily, a lot of things in my career prepared me for these things. So, yes. I, you know, I'm comfortable with numbers. I'm comfortable with kind of marketing. I'm comfortable with people. I'm comfortable with teams. So a lot of the things I'm comfortable with, uh, the medical bit was completely new uh, to me. I have to say that was an area of total discomfort. Um, and I have this, all I can describe it as is a laser focus on yeah. what I want to do. Yeah, I'm the same. And everything feels so worthwhile. So it doesn't, a lot of the time, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it is important to kind of look at look for the for the burnout, you know, and to, to try and prevent that. I'm a great sleeper. I love my sleep and I always try to get eight hours sleep at night and it's pretty solid, although my um, Fitbit thing probably doesn't really tell me that it's that solid at all. But, you know, sleep is a really big thing for me yeah. um, and, um, you know, kind of some some down, downtime watching programs or whatever. We have a dog, walk the dog. So I try to fit in bits and pieces, you know, but it is yeah. very demanding, I have to say. Um, but I always worked really hard when I was working in the corporate sector and that was for someone else and for someone else's vision. So, you know, it doesn't feel like Is it's it everything you thing. thought it would be? Oh, it's much harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. much harder. Yeah. And it's kind of, the highs are great. If you knew how hard it was going to be, you'd never do it. Probably not. No, Probably not. But then, you know, people say to me, Loretta, you do have the choice to stop, you know. But I don't. Have you don't really? No, no, because I'm the same. But I, I do have the. Just I don't stop. ever want to retire. Oh no, I won't be retiring. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. No, well, I won't be retiring. I'd like um, to travel more. I'd like to have a bit more time, take more time off, and yeah, uh, you know, read more and things like that. But at the same time, I wouldn't ever like to to not have a purpose. Oh no, um, and I personally think that's what keeps um us kind of you know going with our mojo and keeping us alive. The idea of actually you know hanging up the boots or the shoes yeah. or the high heels or putting on slippers, whatever it is, and doing kind of nothing um, would never appeal to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. never. I want to read to you a little bit um, from this guy, Albert Meirabim. No, I'm not saying that right. Albert Meirabian. He has a theory um, and it's called 55387. And if you've come across it, and it's about the language that you use creating the world that we live in. So he says that 77% um, of our feeling comes from words. 38% of our feelings comes from tone and 55% of the way that we feel about people comes from body language. What do you think about that in terms of sort of, you know, our shift to being online and how your business has gone online? Because it's not it's not so much the content, it's the connection to the people to make them A, trust you, but also if we're reading, if we're taking 55% from our body language and we can only see each other's faces, how is that impacting us as we move forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fascinating. I hadn't heard that. And um, yes, um, I totally agree. I was on the board of the Abbey Theatre and I just stepped down after six years there. And we did all of our um, board meetings online via mm. Zoom. And I actually went to the theatre when it 
reopened and I met some of my colleagues. And it was like going from meeting somebody in two dimensions to meeting somebody in three dimensions. Yeah. And it was quite a shock. I hardly recognised them. So um, I do think that that is difficult. I think it's easier for um, uh, for us to misinterpret yeah. uh, things. Um, it, we can lose the common touch and so on. I also think, you know, for maybe our doctors who might be seeing patients online, there are, you know, there's a possibility that you can miss some cues, mm. you know, um, and so on. So, um it is difficult. It Especially is with something like the menopause, because if a woman is going to a clinic or a doctor and she's she's already feeling do- low and and sort of confused and anxious, and then how how then can sort of we we move forward with medical science so that we can sort of connect to that person and get them to trust us on that journey that we're going to take together? Because the medical professional is taking that journey as well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and move forward, you know, in a sort of a, a slightly more dislocated world. I think it's interesting. It is, it is. And um, I guess it's a kind of a way up between, um, you know, we're still open to patients, well, since the restrictions changed this week, but we're um, still open to patients um, coming in in person if they'd like or doing it remotely. And it depends on what suits you. Um, but I guess a couple of things. One is the customer service that we try to mm. give to make the whole customer journey or the whole patient journey um, more, um, how will I say it, more empathetic, more um, safe feeling, a trust, et cetera, et cetera. A lot goes into that pre the appointment and post the appointment. I think the other thing, though, is it could be a trade-off between an ability to get care and not get care. And that's pretty fundamental, I think. So I do believe there are trade-offs, but I do believe there's been huge benefits. I mean, before COVID, one of the interesting things was that um, you had to have a prescription in your hand and take it to the chemist and had to be signed by the doctor. So since COVID, you now, the the prescription can be sent immediately by the doctor and it doesn't need to be signed because there's a a secure system set up. That means those prescriptions can be sent anywhere around the country uh, to pharmacies, to women. They can have them in their hand quicker than the post, et cetera, et cetera. And that is a fundamental shift that would probably have taken years to happen were it not for COVID. Right, right. You know, so there's lots of things that are kind of benefits, I think. And I think we have to try and, you know, be cognizant of what, we're losing, be cognizant of what we're gaining and then try to build in things that help with the loss yeah. and accentuate things that help with that, that, that the gain offers, you know. What would you say to our listeners who are saying, wow, this resonates with me in terms of, um, you know, things that I've been feeling? What should be their next step? Well, if I was anybody um, who's out there listening and you're talking about menopause, yeah. I assume, as opposed to the entrepreneur, yeah, people are yeah. thinking about setting up their own business. Seriously. Well, they can come to me for that <laughs> and you for the menopause. <laughs> but I just want to say, I didn't want to depress people about the setting up of the business because it's really exciting and I just feel alive every day. I'm half saying, dead. Yeah. Half dead from tiredness, but alive, <laughs> yeah. which, you know what I mean, and the challenges and, you know, the growth and the feedback that we get and the reward from people and, you know, the admiration from other people and so on. So, you know, it really is exciting. So if you are considering yeah. that, you know, go ahead, consider it um, and do something about it. If, if you're, if it's menopause, I would say try to educate yourself. We have on our website, themenopausehub.ie, we have a symptom checker. I'm not trying to promote the business no, here. I'm yes, actually saying to women, that. if yeah. you see these it's 40 symptoms yeah. on a page, it helps you join the dots. Yeah. If your doctor um, is not joining the dots and you haven't been able to either, this is a way of you both joining the dots. Right. You can bring that with you to the doctor and say, Or Look, if your doctor is saying you seem depressed, you could actually yes. say, can I, can I, let's explore this a bit further. I'm of a particular age. Yes. Maybe it's not depression. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's a brilliant way to 
to yeah. to start. So if you're informed, you can be um, you can make more informed um, decisions, conversations, etc. And then I would try my my GP, and if that's not a good result, go to a menopause specialist, and they're growing. Um, yes, uh, around the country. But I I would not say I would I would definitely say do not suffer in silence or alone. Or alone. Yeah. Please. Yeah, talk to people, exactly, yeah. because pretty much every woman I know is going through it at the moment. Well, as they say, and this, well, this is my, um, my uh, little uh, few words, is that, you know, in life, the only thing is that's certain is death, taxes and menopause. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you know the story about the lobster? I love, it's one of my favourites. And so a, a lobster um, will outgrow its shell and then it'll find a nice rock to go underneath. But the lobster only knows it needs to make a change and grow a new shell when the other shell becomes uncomfortable. So when there's pressure on the lobster's body, it'll actually go, I need to go down under a rock and it'll cast off the old shell and it'll start to grow a new one. Then when the new one is fully grown, it comes out from underneath the rock. So it's only pressure that causes change and stress, mm. which I quite mm. like as well, because at the times I've been the most stressed in my life, change has occurred. The other way of looking at it is the only thing, the only constant in life is change. That's absolutely true. Loretta, it's been an absolute blast having you on board. I could talk to you forever and I probably will go on to do so. Uh, but um, I just want to end with this last little uh, piece. It's actually from Charles Darwin. And he says, It's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent. It's the ones most responsive to change. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to all of my listeners and to Loretta Dignam, CEO of the Menopause Hub. Menopause Hub.